0: Calvary Fellowship, how are you guys doing? Doing alright? Man, it is such a privilege for me to be here with you guys. I mean, I don't know if you guys know how blessed you are to have Pastor Bob as your pastor and uh, and, and Carrie. Man, those guys are amazing. You guys are so blessed. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but man, Bob's not just a blessing to this church here, but he is a a, a A pastor to pastors. He's been a a blessing to so many pastors across the country and uh, has resourced so many people. And uh, man, I just am so thankful uh, to be his friend. Um, God used him so tremendously in my life. You know, when I first started Bible College, he was one of the first people I met in Bible College. And I was a Christian for only a year. And uh, he was just an incredible source of encouragement uh, to me and uh, in those meetings that we had I mean, I can't believe what God has done. You know, I remember uh, Bob and I, we used to sit there with a Rand McNally map thing that we used to carry around in our cars. This was way before iPhones. And uh, we used to actually have this map that we used to have of every state. And we used to look across the, the maps and uh, figuring, God, where would you want us to go to start churches? You know, when we finished, uh, you know, when I finished Bible college, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Somebody must have fell asleep at the wheel at Calvary for Lauderdale when they made Pastor Bob, the actual director of the Bible College, because uh, I was just crazy. I mean, he used to play in a band called Amboogalard, for crying out loud. But anyhow, uh, it's, it's all grace, you know, and God just used him tremendously. He was probably the best director that has ever gone through the Bible College up there for sure. And, uh, but anyhow, we used to look at this map and just, God, where would you have us to go after, you know, we finish this season of our lives and uh, just to dream together and just to see all that God has done. Man, I just stand amazed at what God has done through the lives of two idiots that decided to follow after Jesus and serve Him with all of our hearts. And uh, man, God has just blessed this place. And you guys are extremely blessed to have Pastor Bob as your senior pastor, man. And he's a good friend of mine. And uh, man, let's just honor him and, and his wife just by giving him a a great applause. As you guys just finished seeing that video for the one conference, um, it's going to be an amazing moment for our city. You know, it wasn't something that we were planning. It wasn't something that was in our five-year radar. It was something that God just began to stir in our hearts, and we said, what if God wanted to do something like this? And we started to, um, you know, uh, put this thing out. We started inviting some of the speakers. We invited about 14 speakers, hoping that... You know, they would say yes, but expecting half of them to say no, and, uh, you know, and then we'd have a seven-speaker conference, but one by one, they all started confirming, saying, hey, we're there, we're there, we're there, we're there, and, uh, and um, you know, uh, I was just in Atlanta at the Passion Conference, and, um, yeah, it was amazing. It was an incredible time, 45,000 uh, college students in the Georgia Dome worshiping Jesus for four Four days. I will never forget that. Just to see what God is doing. He is on the move. But I was talking to the president of Catalyst, you know, one of the big leadership conferences, and he was telling me, I have never seen a a, a, a speaker lineup so diverse and so wide. How did how in the world did you put that thing together? to which I said, I have no idea. Um, it was all God, and uh, man, we're just expecting God to do some tremendous things, and, and man, we encourage you to sign up for this conference. Uh, it's going to be uh, a Friday night, um, and then it's going to be Saturday all day, and, and then at night time, and then we're going to have a Sunday evening. You know, so Sunday morning, you're going to be open to come to church. In fact, we want you to come to church and, uh, and then Sunday night, go to this thing. It's a three-day conference. You're going to have 14 of some of the best speakers on the planet. I'm not even speaking at it. I'm just hosting it. And uh, the music, of course, you're going to have Hillsong United is there for the whole weekend. So it's going to be phenomenal. I can't even, I'm I'm sitting back there watching this video and I'm like, um, I can't believe this is happening. And uh, I can't believe that it's next month. And I can't believe that some of you haven't yet signed up. So help me uh, sleep better at night and sign up. And, uh, and you can sign up there. My wife is going to be out there with a team of people. Um, and, uh, man, we just love to see you guys uh, be a part of this. Because, again, truly, you can ask Pastor Bob um, and you can ask me. Um, some of the most powerful moments in our lives have happened at events like this, at conferences where we've come together, you know, and say, you know what? We want Jesus to speak to us. And... Um, and this is going to be one of those moments, and, uh, and uh, man, we, we do not want you to miss this, so sign up for it. This is going to be an investment that you're going to make as you look at the pricing of it and compare it to other conferences, even like the one that I just talked about, actually two that I just finished talking about, uh, they're half the price of that. And uh, so again, we really um, you know, want to uh, uh, get as many people as we can to go, so man, sign up, and don't do the Miami thing. You know, of wait to the last minute, you know, uh, sign up now, get it over with. It's going to be an amazing conference and uh, looking forward to all that God is going to do. Amen. Hey, that's it in the way of announcements. If you got your Bibles with you, please open them up to Philippians chapter three, Philippians chapter three, and once again, let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless our time together because without him, all of this is meaningless um he is the one that makes life change happen and we're going to ask him to do that in our lives so let's pray and ask the lord's blessing upon this and again once again i just want to thank pastor bob for allowing me to be here with you guys and uh to just to be able to uh, speak at this church and, and seeing all that God is doing here, and, and Pastor Mark and, and the worship band—I mean, I mean, these guys are amazing. I mean, I'd come here just to listen to them because, uh, man, they have a, it's an incredible gift. And the girl that's singing here, my goodness, uh, she can sing. So uh, it was just amazing. So, anyhow, uh, looking forward to what God's going to do here in our time together. But let's pray, Father. We thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy, God. Looking forward to what You're going to do in our lives here today. We pray that You would speak to us, speak loudly to us, God, that we would hear Your voice. Give us an ear that we can hear You. Give us a heart that we would seek You. Give us a mind that we would understand You. Give us eyes that we would see You. God, give us hands that we would serve You. And God, give us feet that we would walk with you and God ultimately give us a mouth that we would proclaim you from the rooftops of our lives God do not allow us to leave this place the same way we came in but God we pray that your spirit would do the thing that only you can do and that is to bring transformation in our lives so God we love you we thank you and if there's any person here that doesn't yet know you God or have a relationship with you Lord I pray that today would be the day that they would surrender their lives to you so God have your way with us we pray in Jesus name Amen. Well, today I want to share a message with you that I've titled Radical. And the reason why i am calling it Radical, well, as we consider the Christian life, as we're considering the call that we have been given, listen, it is one that is radical in nature. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I mean, as we read through the Bible and consider just what it is that we've been called to, When we look at the magnitude of the commission that we have been given, listen, we'd be hard-pressed to find any other word to better describe it than that of radical. For you see, the Christian life is a radical life, as in there is nothing normal about it. It is crazy to the core. It is a life of extremes. Yet, we're living in a culture that is attempting to normalize Christianity. They try to remove the edge of it. Let's not make it look so crazy and so radical. Let's make it palatable so that people can engage in it in the 21st century. But the reality of the matter is is that Christianity, or better said, the call to follow after Christ does not change whether you're living in the 1st century or in the 21st century. It is a radical call that leads to a radical life. Now the question is, What does that look like? What does it mean to be a radical follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to live radically for the Lord? Well, here in the remainder of our time together, I want to look at a character that gives expression... To that of the radical life. And it's one of my favorite Bible characters, one that has spoken loud to me throughout the years. I don't know if it's his passion or his unswerving commitment to follow Jesus in the face of anything. And he's one that has really been something that I've looked to as a model and as a pattern. And that character, of course, is none other than the Apostle Paul. And here in our time together, I want to look at Several characteristics about Paul that were woven into the fabric of his life that I believe is going to help us on our journey in this radical life of following after Jesus. Now, before we jump into these characteristics and before we jump into our passage, I want to connect Paul to the title of this message. For you see, if there was ever a human being that was radical, if there was ever a human being that lived radically for Jesus, it was certainly the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy was not normal. He was radical to the bone. He was a guy that suffered from a severe imbalance. He was a man of extremes. Now, in my opinion, that isn't a bad thing. And the reason why I say that, well, it's because... We're living in a world that is constantly promoting balance. They celebrate balance. They praise balance. They glorify balance. And at the same time, they look at the characteristic of being in balance or extreme, and they villainize it. They... Place it in a negative light. It's a kind of mentality that says, oh, nothing in excess is good. Don't go overboard with that or don't become a fanatic, you know. Stay balanced and all the rest. Now, while I understand how that can apply to a certain context in life, listen, it cannot apply to the call of God that's on our lives. Because the call that we've been given, there is nothing normal about it. It is extreme. It is radical. And we must meet the call with equal radicality, if that is even a word, especially if we want to make a radical impact on our world. Yet, we live in a world that is seeking to normalize people. It seeks to dress them up, Give them a certain kind of Christian haircut. Part their hair to the side. You know, give them a suit. And in the process, you know, squeeze them into a mold that says extreme is bad and balance is good. To which I would say, you have got to be out of your mind. Anybody that's ever good at anything is extreme. You know, you look at sports stars, they are extreme. Bethany Hamilton, I don't know if you've seen Soul Surfer. My kids love that movie. They had an opportunity to meet her. That girl is extreme. She got her arm bitten off by a shark. And she went back out and surfed. Why? Because she was balanced? No. She was an extreme person. A severely imbalanced person. Again, in my book, balance is good for some things, but it is not a a positive trait as it relates to our walk with God. Unless, of course, you want to live a nice little safe, balanced, normalized life, then balance is perfect. However, if you want to do great things for God, if you want to go out and change the world, listen, there needs to be a bent in your life towards that that is extreme. I mean, you look at the people in the Bible, there was nothing normal about them. I mean, you look at Abraham for crying out loud. I mean, here was a guy, he was old, and there God caused him. He was so old, he was already going to the movies for free. You know, there was he didn't even have the discount. They said, he, okay, he, he falls asleep no matter what. So let's just give it to him for free and everything else. You know, he couldn't even eat the popcorn, you know, no teeth, you know. And then here he, one day, he just packs up the U-Haul. You can imagine his neighbors saying, Abraham, what you doing, man? Well, I'm going out. Where, where are you going? I'm moving out of here. I'm going, God spoke to me, and I'm going to go to a land which he hasn't told me yet. And he told me he's going to make me a father of many nations. And they're looking, it. Abraham, you're not even a father of one. And look at your wife. She's just, she's old. Her biological clock blew up a long time ago. You know, what are you talking about? You know, Abraham, get back inside the house, man. You're going to get pneumonia. Die. And Abraham was like, I'm going. I am going. I'm going to go out and do what God has called me to do. And then talk about radical. Once he finally gets his son, Isaac, he's even older. And then God tells him, go up to the mountain and I want you to put a knife through him. And he was getting ready to do it. He was a man of extremes. You Look at a guy like Noah. He must have been the laughing stock of his generation. Here's this old man building a boat. Not just for him, but for his family and for all these animals that were going to come in because there was going to be a flood. I mean, you can imagine, they must have rewritten the joke books that uh, in that time about Noah. How many Noahs does it take to change the light bulb? You know, kind of a deal. He must have been an exit on the turnpike. Hey, come see this old man building this boat so you can make fun of him. You know, charging people five bucks to watch this guy. He was a man of extremes. You look at the prophets. You look at John the Baptist, man. This guy, he was just a radical guy living out in the middle of nowhere. He was like a hippie, you know. You know, woodstock come alive yelling at people, telling them to repent for the kingdom of God is near. And it says that there he wore a camel's suit. And not, it wasn't like an Armani suit, man. It was like cut the cat, uh, the, cut, cut the, the hide off of a camel and wear it, man. He probably had the blood all over it still. And there it said that he ate grasshoppers, but he liked his with honey. I mean, this guy was radical, He was willing to get in the face of anybody. You know, you look at these people in the Scriptures, man, and they were radical to the core. And many times we look at them and we say, oh no, that's radical. No, that radical needs to be our normal because that's the way that God has intended it for for it to be. If we want to change the world, we need to be people that are willing to go out and do whatever it is that God is calling us to do. Now, in defining radical, I mean, I've looked at all these characters, but man, just look at God. I mean, God is severely imbalanced with many things. I mean, just look at the plan of salvation. I don't know if you guys have ever wondered this before. But man, sometimes I've asked God, God, could there have been another way? Did it have to be so radical to save us, God? You know, did you have to send your son? I have a son, I have four kids. And to think that I wouldn't give my kids to anybody. And there's something I wouldn't even give my only begotten dog to them. And yet here God sent His Son Jesus to die a criminal's death for us so that we can be saved. Listen, there is nothing normal about that. We have a God that is radical. And then we think that God is not going to save us through that means of salvation and then pluck us out of, you know, sin and death. And now He's going to put us there and say, Okay, guys, now just be normal, you know, and and don't do anything. Just come to church on Sunday. Come Wednesday. And And all of us, No! He didn't do all that stuff so we could just be normal people. He wants to now tag us with His Holy Spirit so we can go out and change the world. The question is, do we believe that that's what He wants to do? And that's what God's heart is. And as you look at the mandate that we've been given to go out and change this thing, it's going to take a full-on, all-in, radical life. And people, if we want to win this city for Jesus, there is no other option. In a life of radical abandon to the plans and purposes of God. A nominal, I-just-come-to-church-on-Sunday kind of Christian so I can drink my cafe con leche and listen to Pastor Bob say all these funny jokes about Michael Jackson and everything else. Listen, that just ain't going to cut it. We need to be all in radical Jesus people that have been rocked by Jesus so that we can then go out and change the world for Jesus. I believe he is on the move, people. I believe that he's on the move here in South Florida. And man, may we never take one bit of that for granted. May we be radical people. And that was the Apostle Paul. Now, the first reason why I believe Paul lived this kind of life, write this down, I have three points. The first one is, number one, because he was radically focused. He was radically focused. If there was one thing about Paul, was the fact that, man, he was a person that didn't beat around the bush. I mean, he spoke straightforward. You know, he knew what he wanted to communicate. He wasn't a guy that you can walk away from a conversation and say, man, I wonder what Paul meant by that. No, no, no. He was like in your face. There was a radical focus about this guy. He knew that as long as he was breathing air into his lungs, God wasn't done with him yet. And because that's true... He was one that maximized every moment of every day for the purpose of building the kingdom of God and the church of God. But in order for that to happen, there must be a radical focus in our lives. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, we get some insight into that laser focus that the Apostle Paul had. And I want to read those verses to you. These verses to me are like old friends. These verses, if, if I had a life verse, this would be it. Picking it up in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The first thing I want to point out to you is the kind of attitude that Paul had. And folks, this is the kind of attitude that will take you places. It is an attitude that if we maintain it, it will be the catapult that will launch us into some pretty amazing things. And the attitude that I'm talking about was what we see there in verse 12. Notice what he says. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Here at this point, Paul is writing this. He's been in the ministry for 25 years. It had been 25 years since Jesus had rocked his world. And Paul had seen so much take place in those 25 years. He had seen churches planted. He had seen people raised from the dead. He had seen miracles take place. He had seen leadership rise. He had been on missionary journeys. He had been you know, in in a place where nobody else had been. I mean, he was writing books of the Bible for crying out loud. And rather than come to a place where he would say, look at me, look at all the stuff that God has done in my life, look at all the miracles, look at all the churches that have been planted, look at all that I've done. Rather than say that, Paul's attitude was, I have not yet apprehended that which I've been apprehended for. In other words, he is saying, with all that God has accomplished, with all that these eyes have seen, with all that these hands have touched, I am not there yet. I haven't yet arrived. And as long as I still have breath in me, I am convinced that there is still stuff to do and stuff for me to learn. And oh, that we would have that same kind of an attitude. That we would have that spirit that wants to learn from other people. For you see, the worst kinds of people in this world are the ones that think they know it all. I mean, truth be known, nobody even likes to be around those people. You know who they are. You tell them something, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but the hut. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. I used to have a science teacher like that. You know, it was like, you know, we would tell him something and he wouldn't even let us finish. He would say, yeah, I know. And then we'd go, oh, we think he's lying. We think he's lying to us. So we would come up with these incredible stories that were just lies, fabrications completely. Um, Hey, coach, we saw, you know, these, tiger sharks off the coast of Colombia and uh, they were eating people and uh, they were biting people's legs off and stuff like that. And he would say, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I was like, no, you didn't. We just made that up, man. You know, but it's that, it's that, it's that kind of attitude, man, that says, oh, I know everything. Listen, you will never get the people that need to speak into your life around you if you have that kind of an attitude. If you have that kind of an attitude, it will cause you to miss out and be cut off from the people that will provide valuable input into your life oh that we would never go that route because truly there are so many people with so much to offer if we would just shut up and listen I mean, tweet that right there. Shut up and listen, because people have stuff to offer you, and we need to be people that have an ear and a heart to listen. The reality is, in my life, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the positive voices that continue to speak into my life. I mean, I still, in many ways, I'll go to pastor's meetings, and I still haven't changed. When I used to go to those pastor's meetings, I never said anything. And now I still don't say anything unless they ask me something. But man, I'm there to learn from people. I'm there to learn and, and, and get the goal that's in, in everybody's lives. It doesn't matter how big your church is or, or whatever, man. I, 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 I'm one of these guys that can learn from anybody, but we need to be the kind of people that have that spirit that says, you know what, I have not yet apprehended that which I have been apprehended for. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. Or 50 years or 60 years, there's still something for us to learn because the moment you think you've arrived, it's over. Hit the showers because it is done. God wants to continue to speak to us. And as long as we're on this side of glory, there's always stuff for us to learn. But in order for that to happen, we need to remain with a teachable spirit that we would press on like Paul to attain every last drop that God has for us to attain. Now, as it relates to Paul's focus, there are three things for us to consider. Notice with me that there's one thing that Paul said he focused on, the one thing I do. Now, as you look at that one thing, it is broken down into three parts. And those three parts, we're going to look at two of them. The first one is forget about your past. Secondly, do what's in your hand presently. And third, we see that Paul's heart was focused on a massive future that God had for him in heaven. But I want to look at the first two that Paul focused in on. It says there in verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. And here they are. Forgetting those things which are behind, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead, and I press, that's the present, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That right there is his three-prong focus, if you will. It was what governed his every day. And people, listen, we do well to pay attention because this is something that can really help us out practically. First of all, we see the forgetting of our past. Now, this is something that is crucial because if there's anything that could keep us from moving forward, it is an unhealthy focusing in on our past. You see, our past is something that can paralyze us. Our past is something that could keep us from moving forward in our walk with God. Not to mention the times that it will keep us from wanting to even get out of bed. Sometimes it's so bad. The reality is, if we aren't careful, our past can haunt the life out of us. And there might be some of you here today that are living in that very place. In fact, you've been living there for a long time. You can't seem to let go But here's what I want to remind you of. And if you get nothing else from this message except this, you do well. And that is the fact that if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Let me just say that again. If you are in Christ, He has forgiven you. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. He has forgiven. Acquitted you. You are no longer guilty before a holy God. He has forgiven you of your sin. So, why do we choose to remember something that God has chosen to forget? The truth is, you need to let it go. You need to leave it behind and press on. Because the reality is, you can't do anything about your past. In fact, the best thing about your past is that it's over, it's gone. And because it is, we must not wallow in it, because ultimately it will be detrimental to you. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. If there's anybody that had baggage to carry, it was him. I mean, he killed Christians for crying out loud. He was the number one enemy of the church. Because of him, people lost their lives. People lost their families. People were sent off in a world of persecution. I mean, try living with that, you know, every day. Try waking up to that every morning. But yet, Paul knew that if he wanted to move on with what God had for him, he needed to let it go and press on in the plans that God had for him. He needed to forget the past and keep on moving. There is nothing you can do to change what's happened in your past. So you just need to press on and keep on moving. And if you find yourself there today, may that be a word for you. Press on. Keep on moving forward. God loves you. You understand that? God loves you. And He has forgiven you. And now He has a massive plan for you to walk in. So get out there and walk in it. Now, forget thinking about our past, it doesn't have to mean a bad past. Because you can also be paralyzed by a good past. What do you mean by that? Well, let's just say, sometimes you you walk up to a person and you ask them, Hey, what's God doing in your life? Well, He's doing nothing right now. But, 15 years ago, man, I went on this missionary journey. Dude, it was awesome. You should have seen me. I was a preaching machine. I was leading hundreds to Christ and all the rest of us. No, no, no. Yeah, but what's going on in your life right now? Well, I already told you nothing. But, man, you should have seen that missionary trip, man. It was awesome, man. We were handing out Bibles. We ran out of Bibles and it was incredible. And then I went to preach at a church. Stop. What about right now? Well, I told you, nothing's going on in my life right now. Nothing's happened since that missionary trip. And it's like, okay, listen, dude, here's the deal. It doesn't matter what God has done in your past. If it isn't translating into your present experience, something is wrong. You see, we thank God for what He's done in the past, but we must not live in the past. And a lot of people are living in yesterday's victory, and now they are living in present defeat. And not that we aren't thankful for what He's done, because we are. I thank God all the time for what He's done. But if we're trying to live off of yesterday's manna, listen, you're in for a rude awakening. Why? Well, because it doesn't work that way. We need to be people that are moving forward. And we need to be people that are trusting God. And that brings me to the next part of Paul's focus. It wasn't only forgetting what was in the past, but he was also one that was currently doing what was before him. He was doing that which was in his hand. Paul had a focus of doing that which was in front of him. He was faithful with what God had put in his hand. And that is the kind of people that we need to be. We need to be people that are focused in on what God has given to us. I think that many times we are emptied out of what God is doing now because we're focusing in on something in the future. Maybe we have a dream. Maybe we have something that we want to do and so we're so focused on something that doesn't even, we don't even know if it's going to come that we empty ourselves out of what God wants to do right now. Many times people say, Pedro, what's the best time in life? Well, it's certainly not our past. Our past is gone. And our future, well, we don't even know if it's going to come. The greatest moment of our lives is the moment that we're in right now. Because it is the moment that we're in right now that God is moving. It is the moment that we're in right now that God wants to do some massive things. And I think a lot of people are waiting for them to graduate into some spiritual, you know, uh, nirvana or some kind of, you know, a, a spiritual attainment for them to do something. When reality is, God will do something in your life right now. I mean, when we started the church in Kendall, I was a Christian for four years. Now, I wouldn't try this at home. You know, but when we started the church, I'm talking a Christian from the moment that I gave my life to Jesus, Jesus come into my life, to the moment that, hey, welcome to Calvary, we're starting a church. Four years to the month went by. And many times we can think, man, God can never use me, God can never do a work in me. But listen, God can and will do a work in you if you're just willing to say, God, I am here and I will do what you have given in my hands. And that's been the story of the life of our church. Since the beginning, we've just wanted to be faithful with what God has put in our hands. We've never been people that have been resting. We've never been people that have been frozen in celebration. You know, even after God does something big, you know, many times, hey, let's just, you know, kind of celebrate for like a year because of what He... No, 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 no. You know, we kind of like live off the glow of it for like maybe like a week. But then it's like, that was yesterday. Yesterday. What does God want to do now and into the future? And that's what we've always had the heart of doing. Doing what God has given us and put in our hands. And what you'll find is that if you do what God has put in your hands, He will give you the dreams that are in your heart. But you need to be faithful with the little. Be faithful with what God has given and put in your hands. And you watch what God is going to do. So forget about the past. You are going to a glorious future, which is heaven. But now, in the present, God wants to do a massive work in your life. And that was Paul's radical focus. Forgetting the past, I know where I'm going, but I'm pressing on with what God has given me in my hands right now. Now, the second thing about Paul that I want to point out was not only was he radically focused, but secondly, you write this down, he was radically fixed. He was radically fixed. Now, we know that Paul was radically fixed on God. I mean, that is a given. But we also know that he was also fixed on people. I mean, many times we get this image of the Apostle Paul as this John Wayne kind of Christian. He would ride into town and there preach the gospel. Hey, the Duke's in town. And he'd preach the gospel. Hey, Paul, we want to go with you. No, I ride alone. And he would just leave town and he would just ride off into the sunset. You know, kind of a deal. And it was just him and his horse, you know, and everything else. But listen, nothing can be further from the truth. As you look at the Apostle Paul, as you read all of his letters, he always has people around him. He always makes connection with the people in the churches that he's writing to. Hey, tell Bob, I say, what's up? Hey, tell Fred, I say, yeah, man, I remember. And and tell Tychicus, and tell this person, and Epaphras, and everybody else, and tell them I love them all. He always had connection with the people of God. He was always entrenched and he was always tied and tethered to the people because, again, he knew that if he was going to be all that God wanted him to be, he couldn't do it alone. He always had teams of people that were around him. He had a love for the people of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, In verse 17, he says this, as he's writing to that church, he says, "...but we, brethren, haven't been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. We have endeavored more eagerly to see you face to face with great desire." Then he says, "...therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming?" For you are our glory and our joy. This is, when was the last time you thought about somebody in church like that? You know, you are our glory, our joy. I think I can think of a lot of other things I thought about the people in church, but it's not that. But yet, here we see Paul. Man, this guy was radically fixed on the people of God. He loved the people of God. And the reason? Well, he knew that as much as the people needed him, he needed the people. You see, many times you look at the pastor and you're like, oh yeah, we need need you and we need you to teach us and all the rest. Listen, I need that church as much as they might think they might need me. We need each other. That's the way that God has designed it to be. You know, in the book of Genesis, it says it is not good for man to be alone. And I know many times we apply that scripture only to that of marriage. But listen, it goes beyond it. That's the way that God wired us. He gave us a need for fellowship, a need for companionship. That is why the church is so important. That is why, you know, I can't understand for the life of me people that say, oh, no, I don't go to church. I don't even like the church. I love Jesus, but I hate His church. Listen, that does not fly with Jesus. I mean, I mean, I just, just to let you know, if you're one of those people and you're here at church today just because, you know, a freak thing, and you're like one of those people that say, I love Jesus, but I hate His church. Listen, that just don't fly with Jesus. That's just like saying to me, Pedro, I love you, but I hate your wife. Listen. If you tell me that, you better start running, boy, because I'm going to get you. You can't hang with me if you can't hang with her. You can't hang with Jesus if you cannot hang with His bride. And I know the church is messed up. I know the church is jacked up. I know it's got its problems. That's full of hypocrites, but hey, come on, there's room for one more. You know, and everything else, we're all messed up, but that's what makes it so beautiful. It is a messed up group of people with a perfect head, and He is transforming us into the people that we need to be. That's the God... That we serve, man. He is a God that, that he, he wants us to be connected to this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. You know, I can't understand for, and for the life of me. People say, oh, I, I just like to, you know, I don't go to church. I just like to watch Dr. Stanley on television. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. You want to know why? Now listen. I'll tell you why. You know, it's like, I love tar- tar- Charles Stanley, you know, with a big old thing on his head and all the rest. I love him. He's a great preacher. But listen, I watch him. I watch a bunch of TV preachers. But there's no substitute for being connected to the body of Christ. You know, if you're not in a part of a small group yet, you need to become part of a small group. If you're not connected into a ministry team, listen, you need to start serving Jesus. Now, some of you might be saying, man, I'd love to serve Jesus, man, but I don't think I can do anything because I don't think I'm worthy. Listen, you might not think you're worthy. Listen, join the club. None of us are worthy, but we have a God of grace, a God of mercy that will take our lives as inadequate as they are and equip them and give us all we need to serve Him. I mean, that's the kind of God we serve. But man, we got to be willing to step out and be connected. If you're not connected to the life of the church, man, you are radically missing out on a transformation that God wants to do in your life. He wants to use you in a mighty and powerful way. So be radically focused, be radically fixed. And third and finally, because Paul was radically focused, because he was radically fixed, listen, he was number three, radically fulfilled. Is radically fulfilled. And I think many times we get all of these things backwards. We want to be radically fulfilled, but we don't want to be radically focused and radically connected and radically fixed. We want to be people that are just fulfilled in the things that we want to be fulfilled in. But listen, the bottom line is this. There's only fulfillment found in one place. Now, fulfillment is something that everybody's looking for. But the problem is they're looking for it in the wrong places. So many times we're trying to find fulfillment in the things of this world, but that's not where the answer is found. The answer of fulfillment is found in the person of God. For you see, the need that every single human being has in their lives, that thing that causes us to want that or want this, that hole that's inside of our lives, it is one that is spiritual. It is the way that God made us. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Now the problem is, is that many people, and the problem that many people encounter is that they attempt to satisfy a thirst that is spiritual with things that are physical. And we end up buying into the promises of this world, if you could just get that relationship or get that job or get that car or get that house or get that possession, listen, that's going to solve everything for you. And then when you get that thing that you thought was going to be the thing that was going to make your life, the reality is, it leaves you thirstier than before. Why? Because you cannot solve a spiritual thirst with a physical solution. You will end up drinking in all the wrong places. I think of the passage in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. It says, For my people have committed two evils, says God. Number one, they have forsaken me the fountain of living water. And number two, they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's what so many people are doing today. They have attempted to satisfy a spiritual thirst in wells that this world has to offer, but it's sure to leave them dry every single time. Oh, they might seem good at first. They might seem sufficient, but in the end, they will leave you as broken and as empty as the cisterns that you're trying to dry and draw from. So, Peter, what's the solution? Well, you see, the solution isn't a thing. It is a person. And His name is Jesus. He is our supply. I love what Psalm 23 says. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And a lot of times people want to Not want, but they're not willing to say the Lord is my shepherd. Because only when the Lord is your shepherd can a person say, I shall not want. I am satisfied. But then it goes on to say in verse 5, it says, my cup runs over. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. It goes on to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God wants to put blessing upon our lives. Now, by blessing, I'm not painting a picture of a problem-free life. Because a lot of times you'll hear preachers say that. Oh, you just give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be all right. Jesus, yes, yes, yes. You're not going to have a problem every day. Just give. Pray the prayer, the sinner's prayer, and Jesus. And everything. Listen, if somebody tells you that, you tell them, dude, quit smoking what you're smoking. Because, again, life is hard. Life is difficult. A problem-free life is not the blessing that I'm talking about. A problem-free life does not exist. We will all have hardship. The kind of blessing that I'm talking about is the blessings in the deep places in our lives that nothing else has the power nor the capacity to bless except God Himself. Money can't bless in those deep places. Power cannot bless in those deep places. Success cannot bless us in those deep places. The people we love and the people that love us cannot bless us in those deep places. I mean, just ask the people that have experienced an abundance of those things and see if they've been blessed in the areas that matter most. Jim Carrey, one of the great comedians of our generation. I mean, I often think, can you imagine having Jim Carrey as a student in one of your classes. I bet every teacher that had him would retire the year after. I quit. I quit. I quit. And now they have like a Jim Carrey a recovering teacher's addict uh, class, you know, for people that had to deal with that guy. Because I mean that guy is just so funny, so crazy, the faces he makes and all it's just incredible. But he was once quoted as saying, I wish that every person can be blessed with all the dreams that they've ever had. I wish that all their dreams would come true. I wish that they would have all the money that they've ever wanted so that they can realize that none of that can satisfy. The reality is, none of it can't satisfy in the places where it matters most because as long as God isn't the source of our satisfaction, we will never experience fulfillment because there is only one that can provide a source that can make our cup overflow in such a way that it can run over. And that one But He is the fount of all blessing. He is our supply. He is our fountain. Nothing else can do it. No one else can do it. It is only found in Him. And it is in the name above all names. And His name is Jesus. The question is, do you know Him? Have you experienced Him? Have you entered into a relationship with Him? Are you walking in your God-given design and your God-given purpose, heading towards the God-given destination Of where your life is supposed to be. Are you experiencing all that God has created you to experience? If not, what in the world are you waiting for? You can start experiencing it right now. Well, Pedro, how? I don't even... I'm hearing what you're saying, man. But I don't even know where to begin. I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. And I have no idea what to do. You might be a million miles away from God, but let me tell you, all you need to do is take one step towards Him and you're going to find a Father with open arms waiting to receive you. Well, Pedro, what do I do? How do I do it? I want to surrender my life to God, but I don't even know where to begin. What do I do? Well, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and make a stand for Jesus. What do you mean raise my hand? Why do I have to raise my hand? Well, by raising your hand, what you're doing is you're saying yes to God. You're saying yes to the plan that He has for your life. You're saying, yes, God, I need you. I need a Savior. You're, by raising your hand, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner. Wait a minute. Are you calling me a sinner, preacher boy? Yeah, I'm calling you a sinner. Why? Well, it's because what the Bible says you are. The Bible says all have sinned and, come, fallen, and have fallen short of the glory of God. But it's also what your life proves you are. You know, all of us have messed up. I mean, if you don't believe me, just ask your spouse or something. Ask something that closest to you. You know, ask your spouse, Hey honey, uh is the preacher there right? You know, aren't I perfect? Haven't I been perfect always? If she says, Yes, listen, you both need counseling and there'll be pastors here afterwards and uh you both messed up. Because again we realize that we've all messed up and that's what separates us from a relationship with a holy God but God in His love for us sent His Son Jesus to die upon a cross that we that would believe in Him can be forgiven of our sin have everlasting life and not only that have the abundant life that we've been designed to live but it isn't going to happen apart from a relationship with Him and that's what I offer you here today it's not about a religion it's not about a relationship with a pastor with a priest it's about a relationship with the very God who made you. And make no mistake about it, He made you. He fashioned and formed you in your mother's womb. Your parents might have said you were an accident. Maybe they said, we weren't expecting to have you. And uh, maybe you have a brother or sister that's like 20 years older than you are. You know, and uh, listen, in God's economy, there are no accidents. He made you. And I believe that He brought me all the way here today to tell you that he loves you and that he's got a massive plan for your life greater than anything he can imagine yesterday January 7th was the 16 year anniversary that I gave my life to Jesus Christ it was on this Sunday back in 1995 where I was invited or 1996 I was invited to a church by a stranger that I met at a party of all places he was the only Christian there And he invited me to Calvary Fort Lauderdale. I lived in Miami. I never went to a Protestant church. You know, when I was driving by there to the address, I was like, "What is this? This is like a warehouse." Are you kidding me? Where's the Where's the stained glass? Where's the cathedral? I mean, that's all I know. But I just saw people walking in there, and I asked, "Hey, where's the church?" And they just pointed that way. They were all walking in there like a mass, and I was like, "All right, going in." And there I remember hearing the gospel for the first time at Calvary Fort Lauderdale with Pastor Bob Coy. He shared a message called a brand new you and the message text was if anyone is in christ he is a new creation behold the old is past and the new has come and i remember sitting there listening to that and i said man that's what i need i need a new start my life is messed up i need him and there i went forward 16 years to the day yesterday and i tell you the only regret that i have is not coming to him sooner So if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus, man. Today is your day. Your life could be your one decision away from having your life changed. And I pray that today would be that day. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us, your grace and your mercy. And God, I pray for any person here that has never surrendered their life to you, God. I pray that today would be the day, that now would be the time, that this would be the moment that would mark their lives forever.